We're talking a little politics and policy today at the national level uh, as we talk about things going on in Washington, D.C. and how that impacts music education on today's PMEA's Take Note podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Mark Despedakis, and welcome to this edition of PMEA's Take Note podcast. Uh, today, we're taking a little bit of a deep dive into politics and policy. If you know me, that's uh, one of the things that I really uh, enjoy talking about. Uh, and we're excited to talk a little bit about that on the national level today, and of course, how all of that relates to music and arts education. Uh, I'm delighted to have with us today Amanda Carhughes. She is the Assistant Executive Director at the National Association for Music Education, we know as NAFME, Assistant Executive Director for Advocacy and Public Policy. Amanda, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. So I think we both kind of geek out on this a little bit by just by virtue of our jobs, but I think we probably geek out about it when we're not doing our jobs as well. Um, we're in a pretty crazy time right now. For anybody who follows the news, uh, we are in a pretty uh, crazy time when it comes to what, what's going on in D.C. Things are kind of in flux. I think that's a fair uh, fair assessment uh, for a variety of reasons. As we record this, uh, we have no Speaker of the House. We've gone through two votes uh, for that and uh, no, seemingly no end in sight. But um, so you're there, you know, you're kind of on the ground in D.C. Uh, can you give us, you know, what is the state of play of what's happening in general in D.C. right now? Well, it's funny that you talk about it being in flux. I feel like we talk about it being in flux every six months or so. <laughs> it's always something new. It's always something we've never experienced before. But about a month ago, we thought for sure we were going to be in the middle of a government shutdown at this point in time. And instead, Congress managed to squeak through a deal. They managed to pass a continuing resolution late on September 30th, right before funding was going to expire. But what we didn't know at the time was that was going to cost Kevin McCarthy his job as Speaker of the House. Um, I've been doing policy. I've lived in D.C. my entire life, but I've been doing policy work for 20 plus years. And I've seen speakers resign in the past. But this is the first time in our history that we've had a speaker of the House be voted out of office by members of his own party. And it's essentially put all legislative action on hold for the past two weeks. Congress still needs to pass all 12 appropriations bills before Thanksgiving. And then, of course, there's the, the horrible news coming out of the Middle East and, and continued um, crisis in Ukraine that Congress and President Biden are going to have to deal with. So it, it's a challenging time and it's um, they really need to have some strong leadership in D.C. soon to get it all done. Yeah, and as you know, as you talk about uh, this, the, the the continuing resolution that was passed. I mean, that's only for basically a month and a half, as you said. You know, this needs right. to be done before Thanksgiving. Uh, sometimes those things tend to come to the public eye right at the last minute. You know, we hear about it uh, in the news cycle. Uh, of course, there's conversations going on uh, on the Hill in D.C. before that. Um, but right now, without a speaker, I'm not sure how much of that really is happening. And you add uh, what's happening in the Middle East on top of it. Uh, what then, you know, the question I think for a lot of people is what becomes the priority as we get closer uh, to the middle of November? Uh, it's, it's, it's frightening, actually. 
It it is really frightening. And I think to have a government shutdown on top of all of that could be really, really devastating. It's not gonna impact our K-12 education members that hard at first, but certainly the students in your schools, their families, they rely on some of these programs that would be put on put on hold if the government shuts down. So that, that's something that they're going to have to address. I think um, funding for education in particular is going to be really challenging. Um, we had a bill come out of the House Appropriations Committee. In fact, they haven't actually passed it yet. It, it just went through subcommittee. There's some conversation that the committees may take up some of those appropriations bills. They can still do work without a speaker in place. Um, but the House bill was really um, devastating for education. It's more than $22 billion cut to the department, um, devastating cuts to Title I, complete elimination of Title II and other key programs that we care about. So, um, you know, there's going to be, it's going to be a big budget battle. And then on top of that, they're going to be doing some sort of emergency supplemental funding to address these, these crises abroad. So, um, a lot of work needs to be done, as I said. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit here about some of NAFME's legislative priorities. But I, you know, I, Title One, uh, something. I mean, I, just I'll editorialize slightly for a minute. You know, it is amazing to me that that members of the House could actually think you could cut Title One by that much money and not have a significant disruption to schools and education in this country when every school district, nearly every school district budget uh, relies on that money as we know pretty much how much we're gonna get from year to year. And we are hiring staff based on that and running programs based on that, that they don't think this would cause a major disruption. Yeah, it's, it's really a misunderstanding about how schools really operate and how that funding works. Um, I mean, part of it, I, I was I was part of the the huge success during the the COVID um, pandemic to get that relief bill passed over 160 billion dollars for K twelve schools so that we could reopen safely. Um, but unfortunately, it's um, kind of made it more challenging for us to do the annual appropriations. There's a belief out there, not correct, that school districts still have billions of dollars in their bank accounts that um, haven't been spent yet. I think we know that's not true. I think most of the music educators listening to this podcast know that, that that's not the case, that those funds have likely been obligated. Contracts have been signed for services, for staffing, for programs that schools rely on. And that funding actually does expire in September 2024. And the funding that we're talking about for this fiscal year is for the 2024-25 school year. So it's really going to be a double whammy on these schools that really rely on those funds because the ESSER dollars will be exhausted and they could have cuts to the Title I program. Yeah, Um yeah, it's incredible. So uh, let, let's pull away from that for a second and just talk a little about, you know, NAFME every year uh, has legislative priorities. 
uh, that are discussed in Washington, uh, you know, mostly mostly financial because that's what uh, we all go to Washington for. So um, I'd be curious if you would be able to to talk about some of those and and then how uh, how they actually impact music educators across the country. Yeah, of course. Well, NAFME's mis mission is to ensure equitable access for music education. So having the funding and resources for schools to make sure that all children can participate in those programs is a priority for us. Another issue is having um, a diversity of musical offerings in those schools. We know that the traditional ensembles don't resonate with all kids in the building, and that's fine. But we want to make sure that there are other opportunities that might be of interest to them, whether that be modern band, education technology, guitar, what have you. So that's a big priority for us is to make sure that schools have the resources they need to be able to provide these programs to those children. At the federal level, we advocate for programs that are authorized under the Every Student Succeeds Act that support a well-rounded education. And when the law passed in 2015, that was a, a huge advocacy success for NAFME, NAM, some of our other partner organizations, that the definition of a well-rounded education included music for the first time. So some of our priorities are those big um, title programs that are authorized under ESSA, the first being Title I, of course, that provides the funds to those schools that are serving a high population of low-income students. We also care a lot about Title II. That's the um, section of the law that focuses on educator quality. So that funding can be used for teacher and school leader recruitment, professional development, their evaluation system, um, just other incentives to keep educators in the classroom. And then the third big bucket is Title IV-A. That was a new program authorized in the bill. It was sort of a compromise program. They um, consolidated a bunch of smaller programs that had been authorized under the No Child Left Behind Act and combined it into one big formula grant program, Title IV-A. And that funding can be used to support a well-rounded education in addition to um, ensuring safe and healthy schools and effective use of technology in the classroom. So we have been doing some surveys of members. Um, actually, we partnered with the NAM Foundation and also the organizations that represent dance, theater, and visual arts educators to survey our members to find out how federal funds are being used to support music and the arts. We found out about a third of those respondents said that the funding was not used for that purpose. Um, either there's not enough funding to go around and they had to use those funds for other important programs and services that kids need, or there's just a lack of understanding that the funding can be used to support music and arts programs. So that's a big priority for us. But about a third of the respondents did share really great examples about how they're using this funding to support their programs. They've been able to purchase instruments, other supplies, They've been able to increase staffing for some of their music programs. Some schools said that they may have had just a, a half-time staff person. Now we're able to have a full-time choir director. Others were able to upgrade their facilities. That was obviously a big priority um, during the COVID pandemic to make sure that there was good ventilation, air quality in the music classroom. And then some have been able to access Title I and other funds to provide summer learning opportunities, band camps, and private lessons for students from low-income families. 
So uh, we hit on this a little bit earlier, um, but but I think maybe we, it's important to to reiterate this a little bit. Yeah, as we're talking about the turmoil in D.C., it's impacting a lot of things, but in it, it can impact uh, the things that NAFME and other arts-related organizations are are advocating for, and and you know like. Can you can you give up the, the summation of how that's happening and why it's important that we get out of this chaos? Well, I mean, like I said, legislative action is really at a standstill right now. So they're not they're not bringing any legislation to the floor or referring any bills out of committee right now. So this potential of a government shutdown, like I mentioned, is very real. It's gonna it's gonna hurt our low income families the hardest because they're just um, various programs and services that they rely on. Um, and it, it just means it's going to be more challenging for us to pass those appropriations bills and make sure that schools know what funding they're going to have available to them for the next school year. Um, if Title I is cut or Title II is completely eliminated, um, even though we've made great progress in funding the Title IV program, and we know that a lot of schools are able to use that funding to support music and arts program, that funding is just going to be shifted to other programs and services um, that schools really need to provide kids. So we, we do have real concerns um, about how the funding aspect is going to impact music education, but also just the, the focus on learning loss that occurred during the pandemic. I mean, a real fear I have is when the ESSER funding runs out, many schools that have relied on that funding to provide tutoring and mentoring for kids um, are still going to have to catch students up in reading language arts, math, science, some of those tested subjects. And so we have a real fear that kids are gonna get pulled out of some of their music and arts programs to have to um, do remediation next year. Uh, so from time to time, PMEA, NAFME uh, sends things out to uh, the membership and says, we want you to sign on to this letter. We want you to contact uh, your member of Congress, in our case, your member of the state legislature. Um, and I, you know, there's some people who jump on and do it right away. Other people who say, uh, my voice doesn't matter, you know, uh, which cannot be further from the truth. But, uh, you know, can you talk about how truly important it is for for music educators to get involved uh, at that level uh, of, of filling out a, a, you know, a 60 second form um, to even even beyond that and advocating? It, it's so important. The, the members of Congress really do need to hear how these programs are having an impact at the local level. They want to hear from their constituents. They want to hear that what they're doing is meaningful. Um, and so it is really important to demonstrate that this funding matters um, and that we need to increase it and keep it going. One of the really surprising things, I think, about that Hast bill that had I said, you know, the devastating impact on Title I, the elimination of Title II, is that the Title IV-A program was actually level funded. It shocked the education community. Um, I serve on the board for the Title IV-A coalition, and we had a big debate about what do we do? Do we 
thank Congress for level funding our program when they eliminated all these other programs. But I think it's a true testament to the work that NAFME, our state MEAs, some of our partner organizations like NAM have done that we have really been beating the drum year after year about this program and why it's important. And they listen to us. Um, I can tell a story from about, gosh, I want to say it was maybe 10 years ago or so. The Obama administration actually cut the Title II program in their budget. And the House then followed their lead in the appropriations bill that they passed out of committee. And a group of us, I want to say it was some union representatives, the principal organizations, school board members, we went and met with the Appropriations Committee staff and were just so shocked about this potential cut to the Title II program. And they told us that this meeting we were holding right then was the first time they had ever heard from educators about Title II, Mm. that no one had ever come in and advocated for the program before. So they just didn't think people thought it was important. So it was really eye-opening from us since that time. My previous organization, NAFME, we have included Title II in all of our funding requests, our advocacy campaigns, and held meetings with Hill staff to let them know that it that it is important that we do need that funding. Um, and we were able to turn things around before the final bill passed. But it was it was scary at the time. Yeah. So I mean it does speak to the to the value of of the importance of uh, of constituents and and you know be, because I think it's fair to assess that that a member of Congress and their staff can't know everything they can't know about every program so it is important uh, to hear about it and, and as you talked earlier about this survey uh, it, that that piece of the puzzle where you're you're getting examples uh, is really so crucial. Uh, in two ways. One, because that can then serve the profession to say, here's some ideas of how to go after this money. But then also to say to Congress, look, it's working. These are ways that it's working. So we need to continue to fund it. uh, So more of this happens. So so absolutely, your voice uh, is so incredibly important as a constituent. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make a plug actually for the constituents listening right now. We do have that survey open right now until October 27th. So if you are in a district that accesses those funds, or even if you don't and want to share how you could use additional funding to support your music program, we would love that data. And we still have our advocacy campaign open on federal funding. We have had more than 1,400 people respond. Almost 5,000 messages go up to the Hill. That's kind of my goal. So I hope that the Pennsylvania music educators listening today will take action. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because uh, we have a nice big uh, congressional delegation there. So uh, uh, hopefully they'll, they'll get the message. All right. So let's pull out of uh, this uh, talking specific policy things. Uh, so you, you've been at NAFME for a couple of years now. I mean, you've worked in the, the education policy landscape for a while, but uh, you've been in the music education space here for a couple of years now. Um, I'm curious what issues you see kind of bubbling to the top as concerns for music education, uh, maybe that we could address in policy or that, that are things that maybe we just address within the profession. Uh, what are you seeing as kind of the, the issues uh, that are in, that we need to be paying attention to now in, in, in this space? Yeah, I spent those first few months trying to listen to as many music educators and our partner organizations as possible. And it became really clear to me very quickly that recruiting and retaining music education 
music educators in the classroom was a real challenge. Um, it wasn't a surprise to me coming from the education policy world. We've been talking about teacher and principal shortages for years, long before the pandemic began. But I think COVID really exacerbated some of those issues and made it a more mainstream topic of conversation. Um, and so one of the first things I did was advocate for NAFME to join the Coalition for Teaching Quality. This was a coalition that I was really involved with, with the principals organization. And it's been a great opportunity to get intelligence about what the unions, what the Association for Colleges of Teacher Education, what some of their priorities are and some of the work that they're doing in this space. It also, um, brought a lot of information to us about bills that were being ad introduced to address some of these issues. So NAFME endorsed the Educators for America Act that Senator Reed from Rhode Island has introduced the past two Congress, the past two Congresses. Um, and this bill would strengthen teacher prep programs, um, takes a hard look at teacher diversity and what we can be doing to um, bring more people into the profession and incentivize more people to want to choose education as a profession. Um, I know that you recently met with our president-elect, Deb Confredo, and talked about the blueprint for strengthening the teaching profession. So that's going to be a big priority for NAFME moving forward. My team is working really closely with her and with the state MEAs on implementing some of the recommendations in that report. Yeah, and, and as you lay it out, these issues, uh, many of them are addressed in that blueprint. Yes. Um, and, and I think it's important. And I, I would I would certainly uh, encourage folks to go back and, and take a look at our conversation with Deb, uh, because what I really liked is uh, one of the many things I really liked was when I said to her, talk to us about what I think I put as Joe Q music teacher can do. Uh, because some of these things seems like, oh, this is this this big thing coming from the national level. Uh, but there are things that you can do. And I think uh, there's things that you can do certainly at Blueprint, but then you've also hit today on things that people can do just by being involved uh, and being a, a constituent that uh, is uh, is connected uh, to their member of Congress or member of the state legislature as well. So, uh, so Amanda, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and giving us a little bit of the pulse of what's going on in DC. Uh, there's certainly a lot on your plate as you try to navigate uh, the twists and turns of uh, what happens on cable news and then how that impacts uh, every piece of the puzzle uh, down the line. So thanks for all the work that you do and thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. And thank you all for being here on this edition of PNBA Statement Podcast. We want to thank our sponsor, the Grove City College Department of Music. We will see you next time.